Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. My very special guest, a lady who has been in my radar for a long time because I've appreciated the body of work she's done, is starring, uh, playing Joan Didion, in a one-person show, The Year of Magical Thinking. Say hello to Mary Beth Fisher. Hello, Mary. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Great. Uh, Tell us how you got involved in, in this show. Well, actually, I was in a technical rehearsal for The Wild Duck, um, which Charlie Newell directed for Court Theater at the Museum of Contemporary Art yeah, I remember last that. winter. Terrific right? show. Yeah. And uh, I was actually sitting in the dark of the theater during uh, a, a, some cue that was being worked out, and Charlie dropped the script in my lap upside down in the dark and said, take a look at this and tell me what you think. And the lights came up, and I turned it over and saw the title and gasped and thought, mm, I can't imagine doing that. And um, it, was a, it was a really um, flattering moment and a really scary moment at the same time. Yeah, it's always flattering when they hand it's you a script. Totally, yeah. totally nice of him to ask, but I thought that's kind of uh, a little overwhelming because I'm a huge fan of Joan Didion, and um, I have such incredible respect for her and I I my first response was I am I smart enough to to embody this person and you know do I have can I even begin to imagine um, how to make this incredible piece of writing that is is such a masterful work on the page could I even imagine bringing it to life um, it's a, a whole different thing to speak it than to read it and um, I, so you had read you had I had, had read, read the, the book. book. Okay. Yeah. So I I was very um, surprised and overwhelmed at first, and um, then I took a look at it, and Charlie had a, a conversation with me about it, and we decided to see if uh, if we could get the rights, secure the rights to it for the Chicago premiere, and um, work together on it. Um, he was certainly giving me enough time to work on it. Yeah. Well, that that's good. He's he's quite persuasive too, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. So then I understand that uh, you and Charlie went out to New York to meet Joan. We did. We um, I I think I think I have this story right. Charlie uh, had an exchange with her agent asking if we could get permission to email Joan a couple of questions uh, while we were in the rehearsal process, just in case we had any. And the response back from the agent was Joan would like to invite you to tea. Wow. Um, it's always we, flattering. Oh, well, we were completely and utterly blown away. Had we, you had you had the, gotten the rights by this point? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, so she knew the, at the, who the director was going to be. She knew who the actor was going to be. Um, why she chose to invite us, I don't know. But um, Charlie and I immediately said, okay, we're going to New York. And we picked a date and, and ran some times through Joan's agent and, you know, came back with the reply, this is my address, this is what time, and we arrived. Um, it was thrilling. What did she have to say? Was she, like, looking you over? Or, I uh, mean, she had already agreed, so it wasn't, it wasn't whether or not you right. were going to You know, we, we got to her door, and uh, we were right on time, needless to say. And uh, Charlie and I looked at each other and said, okay, here we go. We knocked on the door. She opened the door and just simply said, come in. 
we walked in. I introduced myself. Um, she said, I'm Joan. So right away, I was given permission to call her Joan. Um, I introduced Charlie, and um, she asked us if we would like tea or water or a glass of wine, and uh, we opted for water, and um, I handed her a gift. I brought her a small orchid. I knew that she loved orchids, and certainly orchid imagery is... Um, you see, we hear about Lay's in Honolulu and Hawaii yeah. and orchids in the play. Yeah, so it is in the play. That, um, was, that was that was clever. I brought her an orchid as a thank you, and uh, she took it out of the bag and said, "This is perfect," and put it down. And I thought, well, I don't know why it's perfect, but um, it wasn't until later when we left that um, she told me as she was getting my coat, uh, a, a grower, an orchid grower, named uh, an orchid for my daughter. And I said, really, what does it look like? And she said, it's white with a peppermint stripe, which was exactly the orchid that I had given her. What? Did you know that? No. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Something, there's a, like a serendipity moment there. Yeah. yeah that's, that's terrific. Yeah. Well, that was that, that cert sure worked out. It was a nice start. But did she make you feel, she, did she question you about how you were going to play her or anything? You know, she was, um, she's, uh, she's very quiet. Um and uh, does is not one of those people who talks um, just kind of off the cuff. She responds specifically to a question. She she's not uh, somebody who just makes conversation to make conversation. She's um, she never took her eyes off me. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not too embarrassed to say I broke a sweat. It was a very nerve wracking uh, kind of experience. I thought, oh my God, she's looking at the person who's going to embody this piece of writing that is so important to her. And um, yeah, because you could just tell the book is very important. Well, yeah. of course, and and I felt the weight of that responsibility fully when I was sitting in her living room where the event, the main event of the book, took place. Okay. Um, and that was a very powerful experience and um you know the first thing i said to her was i couldn't really ask her questions about the material if i felt that i was asking personal questions about her mm -hmm. um that i could only think of it as the character and would she be comfortable if i spoke to her about the text um referring to the person as the speaker the character whatever and she immediately said yes and and said that she actually doesn't think of the character in the play as herself um when she was writing the book you know clearly that was her act of working through her experience not knowing for sure if she was going to survive the experience and then the writing of the play she said uh she became the listener and um so she thinks of the person as outside of herself when she hears it. Boy, wasn't that refreshing to hear? Because it sort of gave you the... It was liberating. Yeah, the liberation to, to invent the character. Yeah. Yeah to, to, yeah, to be the character rather than... And she said very honestly that she couldn't speak it, that she could write it, but she couldn't speak it. Um, so that's my job. Yeah. So I, I, so I take it uh, that, that it was... You learned something in it, and it was a, a very great experience for you. It was fantastic. We we asked her some specific questions about the text questions that we had about transitions. I mean, as you know because you saw the play and you've read it that um the it's not a linear storytelling. 
that she uses. She goes back in time. Just the, tell us a little bit. Give us a few hints for our listeners who have not seen the play. I, I, and in doing that, you'll be telling them why they should see it. I've already told them uh-huh. you've got to see it. Oh, that's but, great. Thanks. Uh, but uh, just just in general, what it, what it's about. Well, um, the play covers the period of time which Joan refers to as her year of magical thinking, which is the year immediately following the passing away of her husband in front of her at her dining room table. And uh, magical thinking refers to um, the way she noticed in her mind she was not exactly accepting that it was real and uh, would do things like say, I can't give away his shoes because he needs shoes if he's going to come back. Um, magical thoughts, if thinking, if I do this, he'll come back. Um, the play goes beyond the year of the book and includes, um, the story of her daughter, which perhaps I won't give away exactly what happens no. because some people may not know Correct. the story of the daughter. So yeah, cause it isn't really in the book. Right. Yeah. But it's, I can tell you folks, it's, it's, it's quite powerful in it and you really get that extra sense of depth into the character. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of it's the way you play this. Well, she's, you know, Joan has an incredible sense of humor. Um, She's very dry. Yeah. And um, she can can look at herself and speak very honestly and deeply about the most personal things and still put a little twist on it and be ironic or funny about her own point of view on something. Yeah, the writing is tremendous. She's amazing. She's amazing. But equal to that is the chore that you do as a one-person. Is this the first one-person show <laughs> It is done? the first one-person show Boy, I've really ever done. you really picked one to do Oh, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, it's 95 minutes. Um, it's a 72-page text. You know, the great daunting job right off the bat is just memorizing. And it's not linear. Yeah, it's not, and you, but you have to, you have to move back and forth through several different stories and and be in several sort of moods a, as you do it. Uh, yeah, she uses memory. Yeah. She um, she gets off track um, explaining her point of view about things. She'll bring up stories that have nothing to do with these, apparently nothing to do with the story she's telling the audience in the moment. Um, so, uh, the challenge in memorizing it was, I found that I actually had to create my train of thought, the character's train of thought, and memorize that as well, so that I could find my own way through how she's thinking, why she's going back in time at that particular moment, why something is triggering a memory or a sideways thought. Um, it's but you do it so naturally, and I can see why, because you, you embody that. I spent yeah. a lot of time connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. Um, what about movement? Uh, I noticed at certain times you would get out of the chair, move to a certain place on the stage. Is that is that part of, does that help cue you to into the next segue or the next story? Um, you know it does now, but um, our first day of rehearsal, Charlie said to me, you know, just get up and move around. We know this is your space. And um, just move around. You know, we know that this is the first day of rehearsal. Just go where you want to go. And a stage manager, my beloved William Collins, um, wrote down everything I did just by instinct that day. And surprisingly, quite a bit of it wound up being the blocking. 
for the show because I was just moving around as I felt It was the very need. natural, and it, it, it did uh, that and your tone of voice and the variety just kept us all the way through the show. That's great. It's I mean, really challenging person, yeah, for 95 person, minutes. Yeah, 95 <laughs> minutes to, to hold your t- – and, and not, you know, not the, the most uplifting topic. I mean, it's a tough topic. It's a tough topic, yeah, but it's a really grief. The whole process amazing yeah. topic. It's a it's a topic that I think um, a lot of people are think. Oh, that's too scary. It's uh, you know I don't want to think about my own mortality or that of my loved ones. But actually, um, we're all going there, and everybody we know is going there. And why not um, get into a room with a bunch of people and um, and go deep and you know have an experience in the theater where you sit in a room with, you know, 175 other people and and um, watch somebody really taking apart this this incredible mystery of our lives. And um, I think we all saw some things in there cause, because Joan didn't really just go through the standard grieving process. You know, the, uh, there was the denial part. Mm-hmm. But that, isn't that part of some of She was very much in control of her well, life and her environment, right? And all of a sudden... This isn't, she couldn't control that. I think that's what's interesting about the character. And one of the things Joan said when I met with her was she's different at the end than she is at the beginning. But she didn't explain that to me. And Charlie and I had to think about that. And I think what we ultimately came to was that at the beginning of the show, this is a person who has a great need to control her life, her environment, what's happening around her, the people in her lives. And um, by facing um, this loss, she had no control over it, and she had to do battle with that need to control and be in command of everything around her. And, you know, by the end of the play, she's realized that she doesn't have to have control, that she can, she can liberate her own heart, she can liberate her own spirit, and and have a freedom in in thinking and feeling that encompasses this great mystery, and uh, in doing so, she becomes more powerful. Yeah, and you do it so nicely, and you do it so effectively. It definitely came through that way. That's great. And you did it without all the whining and crying and feeling sorry for herself that some people would expect in a story like this. Well, self-pity is one of the questions that I mean, she, she had examines. It, she, yeah, but she didn't deal with it in uh, you know in that whiny, sappy, uh, mm-hmm. crying, uh, overly uh, emotional. Well, I think one of the most important lines um, in the play, she says, am I failing to understand this as something that happened to him? Am I still understanding it as something that happened to me? She's very aware that um, that self-pity is, you know, not an unnatural part of the grieving process. And, you know, it almost feels like a bad word. And it's, I think that's one of the things that she was examining, that we're, we tend to be really hard on ourselves and say, oh, well, somebody's feeling sorry for themselves. They're grieving too long. They're grieving too hard. Um, you always say that about someone else until it's you. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things she learns is that you can't judge someone's grieving process. And and that it's and that self-pity is, you know, it's not 
I think she thinks of it as a pejorative term, and I think that's how a lot of us use it. And, you know, I think I, um, I've, I think that she, the character, comes to a, a, a more compassionate point of view um, by the end of the play yeah. about the grieving process. And I won't give it away, but that the ending scene really is very powerful. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. It, it really came up. And who, who came up? Did you come up with that, Charlie, or how did? Do you mean literally the last moment of the yeah. play, the the cue, the musical yeah. cue? Well, yeah, and you know what I'm referring to. <laughs> I don't want to give it away, but it's a powerful. It's a powerful moment. Huh? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, something that we learned. Um, I think it's okay to to say that um, we give the audience time at the end of the play to sit with the character and have their own reflection about their own lives and their own loved ones. And everybody I think it's a really that. beautiful, yeah. beautiful moment in the play because everybody has permission to do that. Do, do you feel it? In your oh, very it, much yeah. so. It's a, it's very powerful. My back is to the audience during this moment, but but I, I absolutely feel what everybody is going through and what everybody's thinking about. And it's, it's really great. You are to be commended because this is such a great piece of theater. Thanks. And, and to develop that. And this is one you have to take the credit because you're the only one out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have to thank my director, Charlie Newell, but also the amazing design team yeah. that we have. I mean, we have Jennifer Tipton did our lights. John Colbert did our set. Mike Tutai, our projections, and the great Susan Hilferty did my costume. Yeah, those um, projections were interesting that, that created on the, at the right moments. Yeah. The projections are, are there uh, to very subtly create some magic for us. And and I think that Mike did an amazing job with Jennifer with the lights. Well, you're to be congratulated. And, and let me ask you, how did you prepare for this ride? Now, I realize it's hours and hours of memorization. Yeah. But, I mean, in a mental state, how do you keep that doing? What do you do, six to eight performances a week? How yeah. Do you, how do you keep it fresh? Well, you know, um, it's it's uh, it's very it's very challenging. One of the things I have to remind myself is that um, every time I go out there, I'm telling the story for the first time, and that people are hearing it for the first time. And um, I I have to take very good care of myself during the day. You know, every actor will tell you this uh, that you learn in the doing of the piece during technical rehearsals and previews, what it requires energetically. So, you know, I have literally figured out how much liquid I need to drink and when I need to stop drinking it, how much food I need to eat and when I need to stop eating it so that I'm not too hungry or too full or too thirsty. Is or... this different than when you're in a, it's whatever usually, a normal place? It's <laughs> usually different because yeah, you, you, I never leave the stage. So I... I need to be really prepared and, you know, I have to rest and I have to, um, you know, be be ready to uh, do this 95 minutes justice every time I do it. Um, but the audience is my scene partner and they give me an incredible amount of energy. As you know, the audience is constantly responding during the piece and um, the character of Joan Didion responds to what she receives from the audience. So actually, every performance is unique and um, is driven by how the audience 
responds to her in any given night, and it subtly changes. I know the audiences at, at a lot of theater, including court, tend to be older audiences. Have you had any of the younger audiences yet? I know they're going to do... Have you done any of those for the high school kids performance? I have my first student matinee on Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh. And um, Yeah, that will be a different reaction. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. very different. Um, we had a large group of uh, students from the University of Chicago during previews, and they were fantastic. They were so energetic and responsive in a way um, that an older audience perhaps is not. Um, although... Well, they you know, tend the to older be, audiences have been great, too. But the younger audiences, I mean, tend to, you know, they feel they're immortal when they're kids. We all did. Yeah. When we were <laughs> in our 20s, right? We, nothing could harm us. That's why the kids, that's why the Army likes them young. Uh, but when you're, <laughs> then when you're older, it's closer. You've had that experience, and you're closer. You can really relate on a different level. I know I did. Sure. Uh, and I, I, I like to try and think young in the sense that I don't think about death. Mm-hmm. You made me think about it, but in good ways. And... And I think I learned something. Hopefully, it'll it'll react. You know, when when I lose someone I'm close to, that I'll be able to reach back from this this play and say. I think that's I great. Handle. And I mean, who among us hasn't lost a loved one? You know, and everybody who comes when I talk to people after the show, everyone is always so grateful for the opportunity to reflect on their experience and. Um, you know, perhaps go deeper into their reflection about their own experience. Um, it, it, it's, it really feels like a, a spiritual experience in a lot of ways when I, I talk to people after the show. So you're gl- now you're glad you did it, huh? <laughs> oh, really, really glad. It's a very profound piece. And um, Would you recommend uh, other actors go for one-person shows? You know, um, now I would. Okay. It, it was, it's, uh, I... I'll tell you, talking directly to the audience is very challenging. Obviously, I'm seeing what everybody's doing. I'm seeing what's going on with everybody. I um, I see them laughing. I see them smiling. I see them thinking deeply. I see them looking fearful. Um, and I can't allow that to derail my own performance. In fact, I take it in and, and use it. Um, it's... Um, Certainly when I first took the project on, I was scared, and um, scared isn't even the word. I'd say I was terrified. Um, but now that I'm doing it, I realize that um, I'm I'm responsible for the experience, and I can... Brian Dennehy, who's doing a, a terrific one-person show himself now, Crap's Last Tape, as well as Huey with Joe Grafazzi at the Goodman right, right now... Um, said a a wonderful thing in an article I read. He talked about how in the silence, when you're alone on stage and there's a silence, you can really feel the audience digesting. And really... Both your show and and Krupp, the first 45 seconds to maybe a couple of minutes of it, he doesn't say a word. And you can feel it in the the audience. And there's no one coughs, no one moves. Right. And I loved it when when uh, when I read that comment from him because it's really true. When you're alone on the stage, you experience the audience in a really unique way. So you think you've learned some things? Very much yeah. so. Yeah. You think so? What I'm taking is you would recommend if an actor an actor go for it if they if they feel like absolutely, they it's an incredible challenge. 
It'll scare them, but it's worth it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, great. And and get to Court Theater, and the show runs... Uh, Until February 14th. February 14th. Well, let's talk about your career. I mean, in looking at your credits, I mean, is there anything you haven't been in? Wow. <laughs> the Wild Duck, What the Butler Saw, Arcadia, Glass Menagerie, Travesties, Portents of Being Earnest. But one of my favorites was... The little dog laughed. I loved the little dog yeah. laughed, which I did it. for About Face Theater. Yeah. Um, it was directed by Eric Rosen. Um, it was uh, little dog laughed was just a ton of fun. This was a character who, as you know, she was a, a shark Hollywood agent. Mean, tough. And yeah. uh, what I loved about her was that she had no filter on her mouth. No, oh, no. And, or anything. Uh, don't we all dream of the opportunity not to have a filter on our mouths and be able to say whatever we think about any human being at any given moment? It's just, she did. She didn't she, care. Yeah. She's hilarious. Yeah, it's a was, great character. Yeah. And and so out of character for you. But I guess that's <laughs> what actors love to do. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Do the opposite. Uh, I mean, you've done uh, you've done a lot of television too. Including one of my favorite shows that just went off the air, uh, Without a Trace. Oh, gosh, yeah. that's a great show, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, it's on reruns. I see it on, yeah. on weekends on reruns when I'm doing reviews. But uh, tell us some of the things you're most proud that you've done. Because, I mean, you've done all the classics. Uh, do you I know, see Shakespeare on here? Uh, I haven't done that much Shakespeare. I've yeah. done... But you've uh, done a lot of the classics. Yeah. I did King Lear. Uh, my most recent Shakespeare was King Lear at Milwaukee Rep a couple of years ago. I played Goneril. Um I would love to do more Shakespeare, that's for sure. Um, things I'm most proud of, uh, my, oh, there was Chicago premieres of Rebecca Gilman Spinning into Butter yes. and Boy Gets Girl. Yeah. Uh, Boy Gets Girl, which I took to New York to Manhattan Theater Club. Working with Rebecca was great. I love She's working with Coming back in time, isn't she? Yeah. She's, yes, the Goodman is doing the premiere of Johnstown Flood. Um, I did uh, a couple of productions of The Clean House with Sarah Rule, and I did her Dead Man's Cell Phone at Steppenwolf. Yeah. Um, that was a unique piece, yeah. She, I, you I, know, I like that. I it's, it was, just, yeah. it's just a lot of fun to work on new plays. I really enjoy the process of working on a new play with a playwright. Yeah, and well, you get to put your own sort of stamp on yeah. uh, on a role, and that that's always got to be encouraging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've done a number of those, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of playwrights. Well, uh, what do you think it takes to do that? Because it's Michael Shannon's another man that comes to uh, person that comes to mind mm -hmm. that that starts becomes the you know with, with brand new roles, and and mm -hmm. you're one of the others. There's not that many people that do that. Oh, I know. I I don't know if uh, if that's true. It's like if anybody can get um, get a playwright in the door uh, working on a new play, and you have an opportunity to work with them on it, it's. Um, What's great about it is that you are really in conversation with the writer in the moment when they're creating the piece because, you know, the first draft that you get at the first read-through at the first rehearsal is not going to be what the audience sees. The author is going to go through rewrites and it's going to be impacted by things that you discover working with your fellow actors and with the director. So you got to so, learn a lot about the whole process. Yeah, yeah. and that's really thrilling. I love watching a writer shape a piece and you know often you, director... have you you've done have you started out someone with doing stage readings and really sure. so you'd recommend because i've heard actors ah, i don't want to waste my time with stage readings that's a mistake i guess well you know usually um at a at a larger theater that commissions a new play or 
um, is lucky enough to receive a great new play in the mail for their literary department, they'll um, generally they'll uh, try to workshop it for the writer so that the writer has an opportunity to hear it. And um, it's really interesting to watch each writer's process because they're all different. And um, it's fascinating to watch a dramaturg at work. It's fascinating to watch a director at work on a new play. Um, there's there's no greater joy to me than than working on a new play. Uh, the working on a classic play is is fascinating in its own way, especially if you're rediscovering it the way they do so brilliantly at court. Yeah, um, yeah. Charlie always, Mule's such an expert at that. They're yeah. always reimagining the the classics, and um, it's when you're approaching classic theater uh, with an an eye on digging out something that has perhaps remained undiscovered about it and you're doing a little detective work and some real creative work the way Charlie does and and everyone at court and he encourages the actors to do that doesn't he? oh yeah yeah Yeah, that's great well tell us now um, I always ask this question Uh, actually it's two questions one is what advice would you give the young actors starting out and what roles or what would you like to be doing in the next few years? What you- oh, that's interesting. Um, I always tell young actors to see as much theater as they can. And uh, I mean everything from storefront theater to um, the, the, the larger houses that are uh, in Chicago or on Broadway Anywhere you can go and see theater, if you're out of town, if you're in a different city, go and see as many actors work as you can, because I learn from actors every time I go to the theater. And you may be learning things not to do, but you're always learning something. And that's um, great advice. In general, I, I... I, I can't think of a time where I've been to the theater where I haven't learned from another actor. Um... And I also encourage actors to work with as many directors as they possibly can because they all have different approaches and um, you learn from every director you work with. I also um, am, I'm a big fan of listening really hard to my fellow actors when I'm in a rehearsal room. I, I think that often actors forget the very simple art of listening and hearing what the other actors are doing in a very specific way and um, making sure that you're not missing the slightest thing because people in real life observe the people that they're talking to and pick up cues um, from body language and from little flicks of the hair or the eye and all of those things create tremendous human behavior. And, you know, after all, that's what we're in the theater to do is to reflect um, the whole of humanity and everybody is different. So, you know, hopefully every character that you do has some uh, some interesting piece of human behavior that, you know, perhaps you don't have in your own life. That's great advice. Listen, folks, this lady knows. <laughs> okay, what last question is, uh, uh, what are some of the roles that you'd like to do? You know what play I've always been, I've just been dying to do in my life is Noises Off. I want to play Dottie Adi and Noises Off. I think that play is absolutely hilarious. The other, 
they're doing a Don and Munster with, uh, oh, with Dale man. Benson, and I just he'll uh, have to be. He, he'd have to be in it. Don. I think that play is hilarious. So um, you love comedy. Too. You know what else? Yeah, you know, another play that I really love is Delicate Balance, mm. and you know I feel like I could play just about any of the women in that in that play at at this point. It's um. It's due to be done. Uh, Remy Bumpo did it's, a nice job on a couple of years ago. It's, it's a great it's play. It's a great play, and I and I've actually never had the opportunity to do any play by Edward Albee. I don't think so. Um, it's a playwright that uh, I would love to explore. Great. Well, thank you. This is this has been terrific. And uh, folks, make sure you get down the Court Theater and see this lady. Just give one of the more dazzling performances <laughs> that you'll see. This, Thanks, this Tom. Will, this I appreciate will reach, that. This will reach to your heart. And remember, folks, go see a play this week. Mm-hmm.